As Carl said, this year has been very disorienting, and it's kind of disorienting for me to come up to preach from that side of the stage. Uh, I actually moved over to that side of the room because recently we've received some complaints that Marilyn and Jeanette and Betty and Kay have been a little bit too rowdy. So I moved over there just for one week. I'm kidding. Well, welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks again for joining us here this morning. Today we begin a short sermon series in the book of Psalms, and we'll be reading a different genre of psalm each week. Like movies, books, or music, psalms can be classified in different genres. You could watch a romantic comedy, a horror film, or a drama. You could read a novel, a biography, or poetry. Like me, you may be a fan of classical music, Frank Sinatra, old country, and 70s rock. Or you could be a little bit eccentric, and you might enjoy techno, polka, or screamo. And if you prefer rap, contemporary country, or modern pop, you are in my prayers. The point is that like music, there are different genres of psalms for different occasions, depending on who you are and what you're doing. The book of Psalms was composed over many centuries by many different authors and was gradually collected. They were sung both privately and publicly, prayed both privately and publicly by the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Interestingly, the book of Psalms is also the most referenced Old Testament book within the New Testament. Martin Luther once said the Psalms could be considered the Bible in miniature. John Calvin referred to the Psalms as an anatomy of all parts of the soul. And Trimper Longman calls the Psalms the heart of the Old Testament. Because of their unique ability to connect to our hearts and minds, the Psalms can hold a special place in the life of every believer. But even more than that, the Psalms can point our eyes to Jesus. If you look briefly at Luke chapter 24, we see a conversation that Jesus has with Two former disciples who are basically going back to their old lives after his death on the cross. They didn't understand what had happened. They couldn't see how this could possibly be good. They were confused. They were lost. They don't recognize Jesus as he walks with him, but he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. That's a way of saying the entire Old Testament. The things concerning himself. Then verse 44, Jesus says to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The Psalms can point our eyes to Jesus. And so each week we're going to see how a different genre of Psalm can teach us about Christ. And we'll start this morning with a hymn in Psalm 103. 
So open up to Psalm 103. Feel free to follow along here in the room, or if you're live streaming, you can follow along as well. But before we read, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Thank you that many of us can gather in this room, that others can gather at home, and that we can still find ways to worship you even in less than ideal circumstances. Uh, Thank you for the consistency of Sunday morning, that even when everything else around us seems unsteady and uncertain, every Sunday morning we can worship you. We can sing your praises. We can hear your word. We can pray and know that you hear us. Uh, So, Lord, be with us this morning as we do those things. Uh, I pray that this morning wouldn't just be helpful and encouraging and, and therapeutic for us, but that on top of that, it would be glorifying to you. We want to glorify you this morning, and I pray that you would help us do that. Again, thank you for Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church that gathers together our brothers and sisters in Christ in other churches and other places, the great cloud of witnesses, the family of God of which we are a small part. Uh, And Lord, thank you that, as Carl said, we are filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that we know what the future holds for us eternally. And that's bought for us, that is secured for us by Jesus Christ. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We'll start by reading Psalm 103 from beginning to end, and then we will pick it apart, starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. This psalm, this hymn, is simply a song about God. Verse 1 is often referred to as the call to praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. From the opening words, everyone who reads Psalm 103 is invited to worship God. King David, who this psalm is attributed to, is encouraging, challenging, and perhaps even commanding God's people to give God the glory he deserves. And we're called to praise God not just with some poetic words, not just with our best singing voices, which, as we know, some are better than others. We're called to praise God with all that is within us. All that is within us. Deuteronomy chapter 6 contains one of the most important Old Testament passages that you can read. It was a command that every single Israelite memorized from day one. And one of the verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You shall love the Lord your God with all that is within you. May we bless the Lord our God with all that is within us. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul might put it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says that the way believers worship God is not just by singing, not just by saying some pretty sounding words, but by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. May we worship the Lord with all that is within us. But why should believers accept David's call to worship God? Well, first, because of what God has done for us. We see God's accomplishments on our behalf laid out in the different verbs that David uses in verses 2 through 5. God has forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from the pit, crowned us with steadfast love and mercy, and satisfied us with good. So why should God's people worship him? Because of all God had done for them, all the benefits that he has given them. And David understood this well from his own personal experience. David knew a thing or two about God's forgiveness. He writes movingly about that in Psalms 32 and 51. David also knew about the healing that only God could provide. He spent many a restless night weighed down with suffering. David knew about God's ability to redeem, having been taken from shepherd to hero to outlaw to king to outlaw again and then back to king again. God literally crowned David over all Israel and promised that one of his offspring would wear the crown over God's people forever. And finally, David knew that God could satisfy him. He tells us in Psalm 34 to taste and see that the Lord is good. By the time he wrote Psalm 103, David understood better than most what God had done for him. David had not forgotten the benefits that God had given him. 
He didn't want to forget the benefits that God had given him. And he challenges us to do the same in Psalm 103. But why else should believers accept David's call to worship? Not just because of what God has done for us, but because of who God is. You might call what God has done for us his accomplishments. But who God is, that's his attributes. We see the accomplishments in verses 2 through 5. We see the attributes in verses 6 through 19. Verse 6 tells us that God is righteous. In the ancient world, many people worshipped and honored corrupt and false gods. Many people were ruled and abused by wicked and ruthless kings. But the one true God, the one true king, always does what is good. In fact, God is the very standard of goodness. He is the very standard of righteousness. Verses 8 through 12 remind us that God is gracious. God has a long track record of not giving sinners what we deserve. That's mercy. But even more than that, God has been known to give sinners blessings that we don't deserve. That's grace. Verse 13 tells us that God is compassionate. You know, when we think about God in all his glory, his majesty, his power, how he is so transcendently greater than we are, it may be tempting to view him as distant and removed. But as we discussed in the Lord's Prayer the past few weeks, this God that we worship, as high and as lifted up as he is, our Father in heaven, he cares for us as his children. He cares for those who are hurting. He cares for those who are oppressed. Our God is compassionate. And verses 14 through 19 remind us that God is great. He knows everything. We do not. He is eternal. We age, we weaken, and we die. God's promises stand firm forever, even though we often fail to keep our word. God's kingdom remains, even while our kingdoms rise and fall. He is great. Like David, Moses, who is mentioned in verse 7, knew this from his own personal experience as well. Moses saw God's righteousness in clear relief when set next to the evil Pharaoh. Moses experienced God's grace as God faithfully blessed the Israelites, even as they repeatedly rebelled against him. Moses saw God's compassion. That God heard his people's cries as they suffered under slavery in Egypt. And Moses learned of God's greatness at the burning bush when God introduced himself as I am who I am. Knowing who God is, I'm quite confident that Moses would have answered David's call to worship in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And surely Moses would call us to do the same.
Now, that's all well and good for David. That's all well and good for Moses. They both had personal, powerful experiences of God's accomplishments, God's attributes. They knew what he could do. They knew who he is. And that spurred them on to worship. But what about us? What about those in this room? What is our motivation for worship? We haven't had the exact same experience as David. We haven't seen firsthand all the incredible things that Moses saw. So why should we accept Psalm 103's call to worship? Why should our souls bless the Lord? Why should we sing this hymn? What benefits have we been given? Well, we accept Psalm 103's call to worship because we know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think back to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 to those confused disciples. How the entire Old Testament points ahead to him. Well, Jesus does all the same things that God does in Psalm 103. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And he is the very means by which sinners are forgiven. Jesus healed diseases. And anyone who believes in him, though he die, yet will he live. Jesus redeems our lives from the pit, having gone to the pit of death himself and triumphing over Satan. Jesus is the true crowned son of David, the one who welcomes us into his kingdom. And Jesus satisfies the just judgment of God on the cross on our behalf and is our ultimate satisfaction. As the Apostle Peter says, to whom else shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. The reformer Philip Melanchthon once wrote, to know Christ is to know his benefits. To know Christ is to know his benefits. Well, we know Christ. And we have been given the benefits of Psalm 103. A relationship with this glorious God, thanks to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But not only can Jesus claim all of God's accomplishments from Psalm 103, but Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all of God's attributes. Jesus is righteous. Though he inhabited human flesh, he never sinned. He perfectly fulfilled God's law in a way that you and I have not and cannot. Jesus is gracious. He takes the punishment that sinners deserve on the cross that he did not deserve. And he rewards sinners with the blessings that he did deserve, but we didn't. Jesus is compassionate. When he sees a hungry crowd wandering like sheep without a shepherd, he feeds them. When he attends Lazarus' funeral, he weeps. And Jesus is great. He claims the same title for himself that Moses heard at the, at the burning bush. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Earlier, we said that Psalm 103 is simply a hymn, a song about God. Well, in a way, Psalm 103 is a song about Jesus. It points our eyes to him. God's accomplishments are Jesus's accomplishments. God's attributes are perfectly embodied in Jesus. And so we can sing this psalm to Jesus. We can repeat verses 20 through 22 about Jesus. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We sing those words to Christ. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, and with Psalm 103 and the rest of Scripture to guide us, may we respond to God's accomplishments and God's attributes rightly. May we respond with worship. May we not commit the error, the sin even, of failing to regularly think about, reflect on, and sing about what God has done and who God is. May our souls bless him with all that is within us. May we rejoice that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are the beneficiaries of who God is and what God has done. We are forgiven, we are healed, we are redeemed, we have been crowned, and we are satisfied. Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of God's righteousness, grace, compassion, and greatness. And by faith in him, we have been reconciled to God. May Psalm 103 and all the other psalms of this genre... Challenge us to think deeply about God in these terms. And may it strengthen us in faith, obedience, and love for him. Some commentators argue that verse 8 is the center of Psalm 103. That verse says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Hebrew word hesed, occurs at the end of verse 8 and a couple of other times throughout Psalm 103. That word is used roughly 250 times in the Old Testament, and half of those come in the book of Psalms alone. That word gets at the idea of abundant and everlasting mercy, faithfulness, fidelity, goodness, kindness, And at the end of verse 8, that's all squeezed into two words. The translation we read is steadfast love. Steadfast love. David experienced God's steadfast love firsthand. Moses experienced God's steadfast love firsthand. And by faith in Jesus Christ, so do you. And so do I. So may we respond to God's steadfast love for us with worship. 
by singing psalms like songs like Psalm 103. May we say with all that is within us, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Because of what God has done and who God is, we have all the reason in the world to worship him. Just as much as David and just as much as Moses. Because we know Christ and we know his benefits. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for Psalm 103. Thank you not just for the call to worship itself, but thank you for the endless reasons you have given us to worship you. We know who you are. We know what you've done. And so, Lord, I pray that we would glorify you as is fit, as is appropriate. I pray that we would worship you with all that is within us. I pray that our worship would be glorifying to you as you deserve. I pray that even in the hustle and bustle of life, with so many things demanding our attention, so many mixed messages coming our way, I pray that we would take a few moments every now and then and just stop and think and reflect and be amazed by who you are. And Psalm 103 can help us do that. Lord, thank you for your steadfast love. That though we are sinners, Christ died for us. Your steadfast love, Lord, I pray that it would never lose its shine. That we would never take it for granted. And Lord, I pray that our worship would be honoring to you, not just in the terms of Psalm 103, but that every part of our lives, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, our lives would be characterized by worship. We love you, we thank you, we honor you, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.